so good. Hey, uh, Hope, what a, what a blessing it is to be back here with you again by the grace of our Lord this week. And I just want to say, when we have our corporate worship services like this, I'm really hoping that at some point throughout our worship time together today and in the, each weekend, at some point you just take a little pause and you look around at what, she, what Jesus is doing in his church. It's awesome. Every tribe and tongue and nation, one focus. Lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. That's beautiful. It is distinct. And it is a taste of heaven. Praise the Lord. Let's go. Open up our Bibles. John chapter 4, verses 15 to 24. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, put your hand up nice and high right now. Our ushers are coming forward, and we want to put a copy of God's Word into your lap. And open it up to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verses 15 to 24. The title of this evening's message, as you will see on the screen right there, is by his spirit, that is, by the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, we worship passionately. We worship passionately. Okay, quick question. Okay, let's get our minds thinking right now. Um, Put your hand up. Does anyone agree with me? that true worship is important to God. Anyone? Anyone besides me? Oh, I love seeing the hands. All right? All right. Is true worship important to God? So we can all agree and be on the same page? Absolutely. Yes. So let's ask the follow-up question. If someone were to ask you this follow-up, what would you say? You know, why is it important to him? Why is it so important to God that we worship God the way he commands? Why is it? We all agree that it is. Why? Why can't we just offer God whatever we feel like and approach him however we feel like in our worship? Why is it so important to him that he would command us to worship him in a specific way to see his presence manifested and glory magnified? Here's why. Write this down. It is this. The true worship of God is the true purpose for which the church exists. That's nothing short of that. Why is true worship so important to God? Because it's the very reason the church exists. It's the very reason you and I were created. It is the very purpose of our lives. That's why it's a big deal to God, and that's why it needs to matter to us. Our tr- Let me break it down even more. Your true purpose, my true purpose, our true purpose as Hope Bible Church Ottawa is God's true worship. Our true purpose is God's true worship. If that's not happening, we are missing the mark big time. Big time. So so let's get something even clearer. How does this tie into the Great Commission? Well, loved ones, what's the Great Commission? To go forward and make what? disciples of all nations. Why is that the command? Well, the mission exists because true worship doesn't. 
The mission of God exists to make disciples because the true worship of God across this world in every tribe and tongue and nation does not. That's why the mission exists. So if we're going to understand what we're talking about when we hear worship, you may get a lot of different thoughts coming into your mind. There's a lot of people here from a lot of different backgrounds. Some were very conservative, some were very charismatic, and everything in between. What are we talking about when we speak of worship, right, from God's word? Here it is. You'll see it on the screen. Write this down. Worship is the passionate expression of my love for God because of his love for me that overflows in my life and from my life. There is true worship. Worship is the passionate expression of my love for God because of his love for me. The love that he's shown me through sending his son to die for me that overflows in my life and from my life. Now there's a few things we need to understand. Just keep that definition right there. Let's be clear. This is not an uncontrolled passion. We worship passionately, bam, absolutely. I love the worship in this church by God's grace, not just here on Saturday, but in the increasing lifestyle of worship being cultivated. But it's, a, it's not an uncontrolled passion. Just out of control, whatever emotion I feel at that moment, and doing all these things to distract myself or others off Jesus Christ and put the attention on myself. Let's be very clear on something. 1 Corinthians 14.30 makes this clear, loved ones. True worship, when we come together corporately and in our individual lives, true worship is orderly worship. True worship is not out of control worship. Taking the focus off the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and putting it on whoever or whatever is going on around us. True worship is orderly worship. Just look at 1 Corinthians 14. And why is this so important that we have this as one of our distinctives, passionate worship? Because there's a problem increasingly that the church is facing and that you and I as worshipers of God or worshipers of something, because we're all worshiping something right now, we have a problem that needs to be addressed each day, and it is this. There is an increasing distortion of true worship in God's church today. There's an increasing distortion of true worship in God's church today. What do you, you say, what do you mean by that? Here, let me help out. Worship is increasingly man-centered and not Christ-centered. Worship is becoming more and more increasingly man-centered and not Christ-centered. I was at another service recently, and um, I was like, where's Jesus? Where is he? Hey, let's break this down a little bit more. Man's performance is replacing God's presence as the foundation of worship. Get the slick guitars, wear the tight skinny jeans, get the plaid shirt, get the electrics, maybe grow a mullet, and then, and then that's true worship. It's not even close, loved ones. Wear your jeans, but give true worship. 
Man's performance is increasingly replacing God's presence as the foundation of worship. And no, you do not want to see me with a mullet. Secondly is this. Man's words are replacing God's words as the truth of worship. These so-called worship songs these days are increasingly me, 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 me. I feel I'm good. I'm this. Man's words are replacing God's words as the truth in worship. And number three, we see this. More, worship is increasingly becoming more about external practices of hands and slick of skill than an inner posture of the heart. And lastly, we see, and this is just a snapshot, what does all this mean? The glory of man is replacing the glory of Jesus as the goal of worship. And you don't have to look really far to see it. And what's the result of this distortion that's happening? God's presence is not in it and his blessing is not on it. And you say, well, that's pretty harsh. How do you know that? Well, I don't say that. God says that. Amos chapter 5 says that. Verse 21 to 23. Listen, church. Just listen to what God says about distorted worship that we offer him. Individually in our lives and corporately as the church. He says this to the people of Israel. I hate and despise your feasts. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings. The Israelites, they had the temple. They're bringing, we're bringing the offerings. Today, we've got the instruments. It sounds really slick. And we've got all the goods and the stuff. And it's just like a rock concert and all of this. He goes, even though you offer me all this stuff, look at this, I will not accept that. Ouch. Just hear the word of the Lord. He says, and the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon those. Verse 23 probably hits it the hardest. Take away from me the noise of your songs. All you're doing, you think is so slick and tight, is noise to me. Take it away. All the songs you're singing from a heart that's not mine, take it away. It's noise. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. You see what's at stake? You see why this is a big deal? See why it has to be one of our distinctives, one of our foundations? Here's the big idea that this leads us to, that Jesus is addressing right in this text with this precious woman from Samaria. You'll see it on the screen. Write it down. It's huge. Because God commands true worship, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's the big idea of John 4, the entire chapter. Because God commands true worship... It's not a suggestion, hey, if you do this, maybe, or maybe if you have a better way, he commands true worship. 
We must worship him in spirit and truth. And so the question that that begs is this. What is the true worship that God is seeking and expects from his people? Do you want to know that? I want to know that. I need to know that. That's why I was created. That's why Hope Ottawa was planted and exists. And I want to encourage us, loved ones. Here, Jesus gives the blueprint for true worship. I love the fact that we have a Savior. He doesn't leave us on our own. Amen? So here in our text, we're going to see two essential qualities that God is seeking from his people that should mark increasingly the life of a true worshiper of Christ if God is to receive their worship and be glorified in it. You ready to go? Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word. Read John chapter 4, starting at verse 15. John chapter 4, starting at verse 15. Kids, love seeing those Bibles open. Let's go. Read it nice and loud. John 4, 15 to 24. Let's go. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Hear the word of the Lord and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated, loved ones. Let's do this. To offer God true worship, first thing we see is right here, you must recognize your need for Jesus. You must recognize your need for Jesus. This is where it all starts. Without recognition of true need, there is no giving of true worship. See, true worship comes from knowing Jesus is your greatest need. Question, the challenge for us from this, the application is this, what are you substituting for him? What are you substituting your worship focus instead of Jesus? Let's get our context. Here we are. We're dropped right in the middle of John chapter 4, where Jesus has traveled to Samaria with his disciples. You'll see a picture of this. He's at Mount Gerizim. He's at this town called Sychar, which is located at the base of Mount Gerizim in northern Israel. And he and his disciples have stopped at Jacob's well where he has met a Samaritan woman and began a conversation with her about the gift of God. You say, what's the gift of God? He's talking about they're at a well. She's coming to bring her cisterns to draw from the well. And so Jesus uses that as a picture of the living water of salvation and satisfaction in him through eternal life. 
And so after Jesus explains this to the woman uh, in verses 1 to 14 about the living water of salvation that was available to her and ultimately was her greatest need, the woman responds, as you saw in verse 15, by saying that, well, I want this water, but she's not getting the full picture. She's like, I want this water so I don't have to keep coming to this well at noon in the middle of the heat of the day. I want this water. I don't want to have to keep drawing water. She doesn't get Jesus is talking about her spiritual thirst. So Jesus takes, did you catch it in verse 16? He takes a more personal approach to get to the heart. This is Soul Care 101. He gets to the heart of the woman and to show her who he was and her need for cleansing from her sin. Let's get after it. Verse 16 to 19. Eyes in the text. Jesus said to this Samaritan woman, he said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And you'll see why I read that like that in a moment. She's like, I got no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. See, he tells her to go. Notice what he does? He's going after her heart. That's what Jesus always does. He's going after the heart. He tells her to go and bring her husband to him. And the woman says, now this was short and defensively. This is the emphasis on this. She says short and defensively, I don't have a husband. I don't have one. Mm -mm, mm Mm-mm, mm-mm. Doesn't give any more information. I don't have one. That's not going to work on Jesus. And Jesus, in his picture of sovereignty and all wisdom, omniscience um, that he has, says that what she said is true, but it isn't the whole story. There's more to the story than the fruit that you hear or see. She has, in fact, notice the text, had five husbands and is currently living in sin with a man who isn't her husband. Now, why is she pretty defensive? I don't have a husband, and why is this a big deal that Jesus is drawing this out? Because it is shameful. In that culture, it is shameful to not only be divorced five times, but then having sexual relations with a man who wasn't her husband worthy of death no wonder she's trying to conceal it and Jesus just calmly looks at her and he said how's that working for you verse 19 notice her reaction upon hearing this the woman looks to shut down notice what she does I'm busted I'm busted so what does she do like what so much you and I do so much of the time. Change the conversation. Get out of this one. Nice weather. (laughs) You and I do the same thing. Oh, I'm getting a little uncomfy here. It's getting uncomfy. Let's, Let's change the direction of the conversation. She changes the topic as the conviction starts to take hold, and she turns it back on Jesus, to whom she says, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. 
You can always tell when someone doesn't want to talk about themselves. You say, how are you? Well, how are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She says, I perceive you're a prophet. Now, what does the term prophet there mean? Uh, it means the Greek term there means one who speaks the truth of God. And she says, I think you're a prophet because of your intimate knowledge of uh, her life. Now, let's understand something. You're like, why on earth would Jesus shame this person? Isn't that what he's doing? Why, why are you condemning me? Why are you bringing this out? And I want to keep that down. And you got to understand this about our Savior, loved ones, or we will not come before him with open hearts in confession. Jesus isn't trying to shame her. He's trying to save her. He's not trying to shame her. He's trying to save her. He is, notice the tone. He's not a brute with the truth, is he? He's not a bully with the truth. He's not bludgeoning her. Hey, come on, you need to do this. Get after this. This is your life. Notice the gentleness. Notice the gentleness. He's lovingly and compassionately exposing her sin, her idols, and the roots of it that she's storing away in the secret places. That's what the Spirit wants to do in all of us, loved ones, because it's there. And so she will recognize her need for him and turn from her sin and idolatry and come to him in salvation. Now, why is Jesus doing this? Because he knows what you and I must know today. Write this down because you're going to be tempted to run to those idols regardless as soon as you leave from this place, maybe even now in your mind as you sit there. C.S. Lewis, theologian, put it this way. Idols always break the hearts of their worshipers. Jesus knows this. He knows it for you and I today too. And loved ones, I don't know what idols you're chasing right now. I don't know what you're substituting for the true worship of Jesus. What has first place on the altar of your praise? But I guarantee you it's going to break your heart. It's not a matter of if. It's just a matter of when if you keep going down that path. And this is what Jesus is drawing out of this lady so tenderly, so compassionately. See, Jesus is saying, loved one, I see your sin. I'm looking right into your heart. And I see your sin and I see your pain. The shame, the guilt, the rejection, and the hurt that has happened to you. And I see you running to these things because you think they are what you truly need. Men, empty cisterns of water. I know you. Like where you're sitting right now, how does that feel to know that right now Jesus is looking at your heart and mine? He's looking at, he goes, I know you. I created you. I know you better than you know you. I know what's going on when you try to stuff it down and you run to these other idols. I see that. I know your whole story. I've seen every part and I've seen every tear you've ever cried. He says to this beautiful, helpless, precious Samaritan woman, I'm the one who you are truly longing for and trying to find in the arms of man after man after man. 
I'm the one whose arms you truly want to run to. I'm the one who can cleanse you, heal you, and save you, and satisfy you. But as long as you keep running to and worshiping all those idols, thinking they're your greatest need, you will not run to me. And he's pulling them out of her, gently, tenderly, truthfully, in love. See, Jesus Christ is the one you are truly longing for. So he's trying to tell this woman, let me ask you again, what are you substituting for him and putting on the altar of your worship? What are the things you think you need to have in order to have, let's help, let's help get this going. You think you need to have in order to have value. You think you need to have in order to have worth. In order to have life. In order to have that satisfaction that your soul is longing for. The same that this woman's soul is longing for. But you're chasing in things that cannot give it. Maybe here's some examples to get us thinking. Just like this woman, maybe it's your relational status. Well, I'm pursuing a spouse. I need to pursue a spouse because that will fulfill me. Loved ones, I want to make something clear. We have a number of singles in the, single people in this church. And I want to make something crystal clear. Singleness is not a curse. Paul actually goes on to say, if you read the Bible, love you. (laughs) Paul says that singleness is a gift. Praise the Lord. You're not second rate. You don't have kids and things like that. It's not like you're somehow left behind. Let the clock tick. Fine. Singleness is a gift. Here's another one. Maybe you're putting your family on the altar of worship over Jesus. A good thing. Family is a good thing. It's a gift. But maybe you're putting it way too far. I'm going to sacrifice what Christ says for what my family says. Here's another one. Maybe you're putting your comfort On that idol. Or maybe you're putting yourself up there. I can be tempted with this a lot myself. Um, And you're, you're, you know, you're thinking through your accomplishments. And you're like, I totally did that. And I'm the top of the rung ladder. And I'm this and I'm that. It's time to step off. Quickly. That idol will break your heart. Maybe it's the praise of man. You're like, I have to do this, or, or like on the worship team, or, or myself. Like if people don't come up and say, great job, then I'm just, I don't know what I'm going to do. Listen, if you live by the praise of man, you'll die by it. If you live for the approval of man, you will die by the disapproval of man. Maybe this. Uh, maybe it's food. We live in a biggie-sized culture. Overindulgence, gluttony, not self-control. 
in disciplining our bodies the way the Lord commands. How about this? Maybe it's your body image. Maybe it's your entertainment. It's just on the altar of your worship. Some of the biggest houses of worship on the weekend are sports stadiums. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's sex. And that explains the pornography problem. Maybe it's the sinful pattern that when confronted, you like this lady, just make excuses. You try to shut it down. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to hear the truth. I'm changing the subject. I'm getting defensive. Don't you talk to me about my sin from God's word. We've all done that, right? Shut it down, change the subject. And we justify why we have to act that way. And this is why I love small groups. I want to make a plug for small groups here. Because in this uncommon community that God has given, one of the key things we see right from Jesus' life here is the care of the soul. Soul care. And all of our small group leaders are trained and apprentices are trained and being trained in soul care as Jesus models right here and all throughout God's word. And this is why when we get into mutual accountability time, men with men, women with women, we care for the soul as Jesus cares for the soul. Social time takes place at social time, outside of that time. But when we get together, we take God's word, and by the Spirit of God, we allow him to draw out the heart that we would not be shamed, but we would be saved from what is gripping our true worship that is meant for Jesus. So pray for our small group leaders. Pray for our apprentices because they have a big job. It is the spirit who draws out the heart, but man, we need to be in place to be able to care for the flock as Jesus commands us to. Here's the truth we need to see right here. Why this is so important. You'll see it right here. True worship of God begins when we recognize our true need for God. True worship of God only begins when we recognize our true need for God. If we don't think we need him, why would we worship him? I need this. I'm running here. You see, and this is what Jesus is getting at with this woman. True worship is at stake. To offer God true worship, we must, number one, recognize our need for Jesus. And from this final point today, strap in, here we go. We must respond. All right, we see our need for Jesus. We must respond then in spirit and in truth through Jesus. We must respond in worship in spirit and in truth through Jesus. Question, God wants true worship. Here it is. Are you worshiping as God commands in spirit and in Truth. Look at 20 to 22. Eyes back in the text. Kids, we're on verse 20. Get your parents to show you where that is if you can't find it. Verse 20 and going to 22. Our fathers, this is this lady trying to switch the subject again. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. 
We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. See, the woman, again, trying to cover up the shame, cover the just back off here. She redirects the conversation, and not just anywhere. She redirects it to one of the most controversial topics, hot-button issues between Jews and Samaritans. Okay? And what's that? The proper place of worship. She tries to turn the conversation into a worship war. This will derail them. This will derail them. And you got to remember, the Jews and Samaritans, they hated each other. Because if you were a Samaritan, that means you were half Jewish and half Gentile. They, were what was, they would be looked upon by the quote-unquote pure Jews as a mixed breed and completely unclean. And so the Jews would do everything they could. They would take extra hours to go around Samaria, and yet Jesus goes right through it. I love that. So for a Jewish man to be talking to a Samaritan woman, even, even a Samaritan man was crazy, but then a Samaritan woman? Are you out of your mind? It did not happen. But watch this. The worship war was so hot because Samaritans believed that Worship was to take place on Mount Gerizim in the north. And they built a temple there. Here, you'll see it right here. Show it right here. So you have the place of Jacob's well. That's at the bottom. There's a Catholic church that's been put there. And there's Mount Gerizim. And there's the ruins of the Samaritan temple right up there. That's where they would worship. Okay? That's northern Israel today. And that's where the Samaritans believe true worship should take place because their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, offered worship there. All right, And because Samaritans only believe the first five books of the Bible were authoritative, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, that's as far as they went. They didn't get to the temple in Jerusalem. But if you were a pure Jew, you believed that worship was only to be offered in Jerusalem at the temple. Right? There's the worship war. But notice verse 21 to 23. Eyes back in the text. Jesus masterfully refuses to engage the argument of the proper place. Jerusalem, this, that. I'm not going to debate you, lady. And he tells her. Now notice when he says, woman. He's not like this. Yo, woman. Smarten up. He's gentle. He's compassionate. And it's actually a term of respect. Woman. Jesus has such a high value. And even today, nothing's changed on women. He cares for them and compassionate. And as his image bearers, men, we are called to do that too. He tells her that the hour is coming when true worship won't be based on any external practice or certain location. He's like, Mount Gerizim, temple in Jerusalem, that ain't going to matter real soon. What's this? Our, and he tells her, by the way, he tells her that going through all those motions you're doing and, and have to do it at a specific time and specific place and, and facing a specific direction and all that, he's going to be obsolete. And 22, he hits it home. You see it in the text? He tells her that right now, that she and all Samaritans are worshiping a God they don't truly know. And you could say that about our world today, could you not? 
Maybe we can say it about some of us here in this room. We cannot truly worship a God we do not truly know. And so how much is going on today? Worship at specific places, external practices, ring bells, light candles. But notice what he says in verse 23. Go back to the text. He says this. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people. Notice God is seeking out people to worship him like this. His eyes roam to and fro across the earth. See, what is the hour that Jesus keeps mentioning? Circle that word hour. It's used all throughout the book of John. Uh, The hour is coming. He is now here. This is Jesus speaking of his death and resurrection from the grave. So his death on the cross, his crucifixion, which was coming a short time later, and then his resurrection. And what Jesus does right here is What changes everything about worship? Look at what it says. You'll see it on the screen. Jesus makes the cross, him, the hour, him going to the cross to be crucified for the sin of the world. He makes the cross the central component of worship. That is the central piece of all true worship. It changes everything. We worship him for who he is and what he's done from hearts of those who Know him. That's why he says, you, you, you're worshiping your God. You don't know. Because you don't have me. See, Jesus, who through his death and resurrection would make the external place and practice of worship a non-issue. Because from this point on, as he went to the cross, the temple, just as we sang the first line of our worship set tonight, The temple of God would now be the heart that has been saved and made new by him and where the spirit of God now dwells. There's the temple. It's not Gerizim. It's not Jerusalem. It's the human heart. And one one commentator put it this way. He makes it clear. Nothing but a genuine, personal, saving relationship with Jesus Christ will meet the requirements of true worship in God's kingdom. Nothing but that. Because all true worship is done through him. And, And as you see in verse 23, the people of God, God is seeking these people to worship him and will offer it to him this way. Because notice the very fact that Jesus has to say there's true worship, what does that mean? There's false worship too. All true worship done through him. And you may say this, Jesus just drops it right there. Boom. And you and I may say this, what does God say true worship must be then? if it's through the central piece of Jesus Christ, a saving relationship with him, then what does God say true worship must be as an outflow of that? Well, we see right here in the text, we see that true worshipers must worship God in two ways. 
which are empowered by the Spirit of God. That is why by His Spirit we worship passionately. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit. All true worship is Holy Spirit given and driven. Okay? All true worship is Holy Spirit given and driven. And what does this look like? Number one, true worship. Write it down. He says we must worship Him in spirit. What is that? Worship from the heart. Worship from the heart. This is the intimacy piece of worship. True worship is both intimate and we'll see in a moment, informed. This is the intimacy piece right here. Look at verse 24. Go back to the text. Read it with me. God is spirit and those who worship him must. There's the command. It's an absolute necessity. Must worship in spirit and truth. The word spirit there, circle it. You might think, well, it's Holy Spirit. Actually, no. The word spirit there is human spirit, human heart. True worship, loved ones, must not come from external practices and rituals, but from a heart that has been transformed by Jesus Christ through salvation and has been filled with the Holy Spirit who directs. That's the mission of the Holy Spirit, to direct all worship to Jesus. It's his mission to see Jesus glorified. Don't believe me? John 16, 14, you'll see it. He will take what is mine and declare it to you and he will glorify me. That's the mission of the Holy Spirit. See, this is the worship that is given from an increasingly wholehearted commitment and submission to God by the power of God through a life that is fully surrendered to God. This is not a worship on Saturday nights thing. I'll turn my worship game on or at small group nights or when you're rocking out in your car. This is a lifestyle of worship. This is a lifestyle day after day in your homes, in your workplaces, in the shopping mall, in the grocery store, you name when you're diapering your babies, when you're doing stuff with your kids out on the street, whatever. It's a lifestyle of worship from a life increasingly fully surrendered to him. Every part, our thoughts are worship. Our thoughts are directed towards the things that Jesus is thinking of. And you're wondering, what's Jesus thinking of? Philippians 4, 8. Whatever is true and righteous and excellent and praiseworthy, think on these things. That's what Jesus is thinking on. He's not thinking on things that are crude or sexually immoral or crude joking and excusing sin in his mind because, oh, it's just a joke or it's just a show or everyone else is watching it. Think on what Jesus is thinking on. It's, it's true worship in our thoughts, but in our actions. How do we worship God with our actions day to day? Through obedience to his word. This is where Jesus is most glorified. As we follow him by the power of the Holy Spirit, because we cannot do it on our own. That's humbling, huh? Because we cannot do it on our own, and there's a spirit-empowered obedience increasingly in every area of our life. Here's another one. Our words. How are our words a life of true worship to Christ speaks the words of Christ increasingly that glorify him. It's not corrupt speech. It's not laughing at crude joking. It's upholding the holiness of God with our lips. 
As Ephesians 4.29 says, our lips are a means of grace to those who hear and it builds others up in love as fits the occasion. It's not filled with complaining and grumbling and gossiping and all of this other negativity, defensiveness. No, that's not coming from true worship. Here's another one. A life of true worship in spirit is our motives. You might be saying the right thing or doing the right thing, but why? Is it about you wanting to expand your platform and look good? Say the right words, do the right things, and maybe I'll get ahead. That's not true worship. That is not worship in spirit. That is not a heart surrendered to Christ because you're so focused on your own kingdom as I can be at times too. All of those things increasingly directed at worshiping God by exalting Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Here's what Jesus is driving at and what you and I need to lock into today. You'll see it on the screen. True worship is not simply singing a Christ-centered song. It's living a Christ-centered life. That's true worship. True worship is not just coming in here on Saturday night and singing Christ-centered songs. Will you do that? Yes, you will. Praise the Lord. But it's living a Christ-centered life from Sunday to Friday as well. In your parenting, in your marriage, in your workplace, working with integrity, all of these things, it's living, that's a life of true worship. A Christ-centered life. What would Christ do right now? Here, here, here. Let me break it down even further because I want this to be so helpful. Break it down even further. The Christ-centered life, what does it say? The motto of the Christ-centered life, right here, uh, whatever you want, Lord. Here it is. Whatever you want. Whatever you want, whatever season you see fit to bring that will give you the most glory in my life. It may be hard, but you'll be with me. There's always another in the fire, amen? It may be hard, but you'll be with me. I may not understand everything, but you'll be there. Whatever you want, Lord, I'm in, but I need your help because I'm tempted to doubt. Anyone tempted to get fearful? Uh Uh-huh, right here too. I'm with you, loved ones. Whatever you want, Lord. Here's another one. Wherever you want, Lord. You say, well, I want to offer worship to God through using my gifts even in the church, but I want to be on stage, and I want to be up front, and I want to be doing this. And God's like, wait a sec, I've got some character work for you to do in the nursery. Or doing setup behind the scenes. Because if I gave you what you think you wanted right now, where you think you're gifted right now, you may be gifted in those areas and that may be coming, but if I gave it to you right now, you would be crushed and hurt a lot of people along the way. Because your character can't keep up. Whenever you want, Lord. I'm in. And if I'm holding babies, if I'm setting up parkings, I'm in. Because that's my worship to my king. It's not I have to serve. It's I get to serve. I get to worship the Lord through that. So of course we're going to exhort all of us to be serving every joint equipped in this church. Because that's what God commands for our true worship as part of it. As each one does its part. Here it is. Whatever you want, whenever you want. Here it is. Um, um, however you want, Lord. Your time, your way, however you want. Whatever you want, 
whenever you want, however you want, and wherever you want. I'm in. Can we get to that place? And if not, listen, I want to tell you, there's no condemnation for those in Christ. I struggle with that. I was pleading with the Lord this morning, Lord, bring my heart to that place because there's times I don't want whatever you want. I want to be more comfortable. I know that decision gets made, there's going to be kickback. There's going to be opposition. But Lord, you're leading, so we're going. What's going to happen to the family? What's it going to mean for them? Whatever you want. Just whatever you want. I don't belong to me, and you don't belong to you. So will you and I humble ourselves right where God has us and stop trying to push our agenda forward and give him true worship right where he has us planted? Lord, help us, amen? How about you? Is your worship from a heart that is increasingly surrendered to him? Are you kicking against the goads? I did that before. I should be able to do that now. And the entitlement creeps in. And then the defensiveness creeps in. And then pretty soon, the distortion follows very quickly. Where do you need to repent and surrender to him, loved one? All right, first thing we see in spirit, and lastly, we see it in this right in the text. How do we worship Christ? True worship in spirit, worship from the heart, and in truth, worship from God's word. So you see this, true worship is both intimate, the first part there, and informed, the second part. All right, we gotta worship a God that we're growing in the knowledge of who he is. I love how one commentator put that. I was so blessed by that. Look at, look, go back to the text. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And truth. What truth is he talking about? The Greek word truth there means this, divine truth. Divine truth. It means, get this, loved ones, right here. It means worshiping God in a way that is consistent with how he's revealed himself in his word. Worshiping God in a way that is consistent with how he's revealed himself in his word. What's that? That's called sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. This is why he goes back and he said in verse 22, you worship who you don't know. There's no sound doctrine going here. See, sound doctrine, it's, it's, this is why we take sound doctrine so seriously in this church, in our small groups, in the preaching of God's word, in, in the doctrine classes that we do, in the worship songs that we sing. Do they line up with God's word? Are they exalting Jesus Christ and who he's revealed himself to be? Sound doctrine. See, it is centered on Jesus. And, who, and God who has revealed him to the world. See, true worship is not who culture says Jesus is. True worship is not how we might like to think Jesus is or how we feel at a certain moment. 
True worship that is in truth is based on who Jesus says he is. This is why we preach the sound doctrine, to ensure that each song is grounded in sound doctrine and has Christ at the center. You say, why is that such a big deal? Because look at the text. He who worships must worship in spirit and in truth because, let's be perfectly clear, Hope Ottawa, if it doesn't exalt Jesus, it doesn't exalt the Father, and it's not true worship. End of story. Perfectly clear through sound doctrine. This is why love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. What's that? Sound doctrine. All of it. And you think, well, that sounds boring. Really? I wouldn't call our worship service boring. I call it pretty fired up because that's what sound doctrine does. It fans into flame the power of the spirit. And he's like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Awesome. Come on. That's awesome. Where was I? Uh, it is amazing. See, here's the thing. As one, as one commentator put it, he said, the more accurately we know God through his word, this is why we need to be clinging to God's word and abiding in God's word because the more accurately we know God through his word, the more genuine our worship will be. Yes. Are you fired up to get in the word of God? Come on, kids, come on. True worship, huh? Fire up. Open the Bibles tomorrow morning. Why? The more we realize the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us through the cross. Think about this. Perfectly God coming to earth, taking on flesh as a baby through the Virgin Mary, begotten of the Father, fully God, fully man. Does that just blow your mind? Even that right there, the incarnation. Not to mention the perfect life. You know, we were doing family devotions the other day, and we were talking about how Jesus became incarnate. And one of my boys said, man, I would not want to have been Jesus' brother. I probably would have mad at him all the time. Because he always obeyed. He always did that. Like, like think about how mind-blowing that is. A perfect life, never sinning once. Never sinning once. Going to the cross, taking on the wrath of God, so that we could be justified before God through repentance and faith. So that when God looks at us, think about, think about the beautiful gospel. This is why we worship in truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. Because think about this. Now, if we've repented of our sin and confessed Jesus as our Lord and Savior, God looks at you and I, not with hostility, not as an enemy, but he looks at us as having never sinned once because he looks at us through the perfect blood of his son. And he says, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. That's the doctrine, sound doctrine of justification. And he took the penalty of our sin and then he, made, he imparted the righteousness of Christ onto us. beautiful and he adopted you and I if we are saved in him he adopted us as sons and daughters and made us citizens of the kingdom of heaven look at the beautiful gospel that's why we worship him that's why the cross is the center of our worship 
And the more we realize the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done through the cross. Hey, listen, when you let sound doctrine inform your worship and when you come in here, one of the best things you can do, Saturday's coming, prayer nights are coming, get in the word of God, read the text. You'll see it on our social media pages. Prepare your heart because listen, the more we understand who Jesus is and what he's done, the less we are content to stand before him and worship with our hands in our pockets, our minds distracted and look bored in church. We pray not our church. How can you stand there and look bored in church with hands in pockets when you understand who your creator is and what he's done for you out of his passionate love for you? And that right now, no matter what kind of week you had, Zephaniah 3 says he rejoices over you. Yes, confess the sin, repent of the sin. There is cleansing available. And God says, you are my child. Worship me. I love you. Let's. And the more we know who Jesus is, the more the idea of pushing our own agenda or saying, I'm going to fight against what God has established in his church here, the more the idea of pushing against that instead of submitting to Christ in it is detestable. Because it's not about us. So question, are you fueling your worship of God through the word? This is where it all starts. You recognize your need? True worship, intimate, surrendered heart, and informed. How's your God time? Are we abiding with the Lord every day? If you're like, I don't know where to start. Hey, go on to our webpage, loved one. God Time 101 books are there. There's reading plans on there. Come up and talk to one of your small group leaders. Talk to someone else in this church about what they do. And let's go after the Lord. Why? Last slide today. Because God commands true worship. And we must worship in spirit and in truth. There's the big idea. Recognizing your need for Jesus and responding in spirit and truth to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but it is just so fitting that we respond by coming to the Lord's table in communion right now. Isn't it? The cross is the centerpiece of all true worship. And so we're going to come to the Lord's table in communion. And this is a time to remember Christ's death. And the sacrifice that he made on that cross over 2,000 years ago to pay the penalty for our sin, the penalty that you and I deserved, and he suffered and died because of the debt we could not pay. And he died so that you and I can receive the forgiveness of sin and walk in freedom and new life in him. And the two elements that we remember him with today are this. The bread, which represents his body, that was crushed for us, and the juice, which represents his blood that was shed to cleanse us from our sin and to cover every sin that we ever have or ever will commit. But here's the thing about this. Just I know it's like these packages.